Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Morning Hour Chapel. For those of you who attend here regularly, if you're here as a visitor, we welcome you for the first time or the second time. We're very blessed to have you here. I am sorry I did not bring M&Ms for everybody. Uh, Tori apparently rocks. So uh, Wendy said that next week she's going to make sure we have M&Ms for everybody. So just, just be a little patient. Uh, I don't know. A um, couple of things that I want to uh, share with you just before uh, we begin. First of all, uh, next week is our uh, annual council meeting. It's kind of like a business of the church meeting. Um, we're going to tell you a lot of the things that happened over the course of 2022. We're going to tell you some of the things that we're hoping to see our church do uh, to build God's kingdom in 2023. And we will be making some decisions. Uh, those of you who are members will be voting on those decisions. But everybody is welcome to come. Everybody is welcome to uh, see what's going on at Morning Hour Chapel. The other announcement I wanted to make, um, I don't think we actually announced this. Uh, but during our Christmas candlelight service, we took a special offering, um, and that offering was uh, for the benefit of uh, New Hope Ministries, uh, Tender Care Pregnancy Center, and the Adams Rescue Mission. And I just wanted to report to you that the congregation gave $1,000 during that, um, that evening. So we were able to send about $333 each to each of those ministries. We've heard back from them. Uh, they thank us for uh, our contribution to their, uh, their own work in forwarding the gospel of Christ. And the last announcement, um, I got a phone call uh, last night from Angie Thomas, uh, who is still home recuperating from surgery, and she says to thank the congregation for the beautiful flowers that were sent to her uh, this past week. So I just wanted to share those things with you. And this morning, we're going to continue a sermon series we started um, a couple of weeks ago called The Winter of Our Contentment. And we're exploring how Christians can live lives of contentment, regardless of their situation, regardless of their circumstances, uh, whether things are good or bad. Uh, we should trust that God is working his plan uh, in us and in those around us, and that all things work together for the good of God's will. And so far, we've traveled with Paul, uh, his ministry partner Silas, and their partner Timothy. Uh, and we've seen uh, the physician Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke. Uh, he joined them along the way, and they visited the Greek city of Philippi. And while they were there, uh, Paul and one of the women of the city named Lydia established the very first church in Europe. So uh, Christianity, um, as Jesus said, would spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And now we're moving out of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and we're moving the gospel and we're seeing the gospel move across the known world. And last week we found Paul, 10 years later in a Roman prison, he was writing a letter to the Philippian church, uh, asked, uh, well, thanking them for a gift that they had sent that uh, was going to be able to take care of him while he was in prison. Um, and we saw that he was writing this letter with the help of his assistant, Timothy. And we're not told where Silas or Luke were during the writing of the letter. I actually had somebody come up last week and say, well, where were Silas and Luke? Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us where they were, but uh, we can assume that they were still there with Paul 
and that they were doing Paul's ministry work in the area where he was. And they were also probably taking care of purchasing things to make sure that he was taken care of. So we know that they were still there. We just don't read about them here uh, at the beginning of Philippians. So we looked at three terms last week that Paul used to describe himself, to describe Christians, um, particularly in Philippi, but all Christians. He described us as servants, as saints, and as partners in the gospel. And Paul tells us in, in all of his writings that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. Um, and we learned last week that servant really is another word for slave. Somebody who is under someone else. And Jesus Christ is, for all intents and purposes, Paul's leader. Some might call him Paul's master. And we call Jesus Christ our master because we are his servants. And when we re uh, repent and we reconcile with God, we become servants of Christ. We become this person who is going to listen to what Jesus Christ tells us. We're going to listen to the instruction of Jesus' Holy Spirit when it, when it guides us. And we are counted with a number of saints. Everybody who is sitting here, everybody who's listening to this sermon, who is a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Now we think of saints and we think, you know, the Catholic Church names saints uh, based on certain criteria. But according to Scripture, if we follow Jesus Christ, we all are saints. And Paul tells us this. And he tells us that our primary purpose is to partner with the other saints, the other servants, to work to accomplish the primary will of God, which we read about last week in 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but, is, uh, slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And as we serve Jesus Christ as fellow saints and fellow servants, our goal should be shining Christ's light and sharing the gospel of God's love and grace so that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can see people come to repentance. So this is what we've covered so far in this uh, sermon series. And this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do, first of all, I'm going to ask you to open your Bible or open a Pew Bible or open a Bible app if you use a Bible app. And I want you to join me as we start reading uh, a little bit deeper into Paul's letter to the Philippians. So we're going to the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament, about three quarters of the way back in the Bible. And we're going to start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And throughout the morning, we're going to read from, first, uh, from Philippians 1, 12 through uh, verse 26. And as we read, what I want you to do is listen for Paul to begin introducing this idea of contentment in Christ. As he's writing to the church, he starts talking about his circumstances and the circumstances of the church. And he tells us that we can be content. So listen for the start of that as we're reading through this passage this morning. 
So we're starting in Philippians 1, 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's talking about his imprisonment here. It, is re it has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the world, or th I'm sorry, throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And we're going to stop there uh, for a second or two. Do you start to hear some of the overtones of contentment that Paul is writing about in this book? Even in this first passage here, he is sharing this kind of contentment. He's saying, yes, I'm sitting in prison. And the prison that Paul was sitting in, and I don't know if you guys can really see that very well, but the prison that he was sitting in was a prison. I mean, it was just bare stone. There wasn't a lot of furniture. That little thing in the middle there, that's, that's like a, just a stone outcropping where uh, that was his bed, and that was where he sat, and that was, there, there's that little higher piece that was kind of like a desk uh, or a table, um, and that was it. And, and you, I don't know if you can see or not, but to the left of that kind of protuberance is a little hole in the ground, and you can probably guess what the hole in the ground was used for. And this is the kind of prison that people would be sent to. Now, most of the time they wouldn't be sent to prison for very long. The rich usually would be uh, put under house arrest, so they would get to live at home. The poor would be sent to prison, and usually they wouldn't be there very long. Justice was very swift in the Roman uh, Empire at that time. They would usually wait here for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, before they were executed. But there were certain prisoners, and Paul uh, was one of them, where they actually spent a good deal of time in a prison like this. Paul was here probably for about a year. And this is certainly a far cry from Lydia's house. This is certainly a far cry from being under house arrest. Right? Paul um, kind of was able to stay at people's houses from time to time. But a lot of the time, Paul was in situations like this. Or other situations that, were, that we would consider to be horrible conditions. And I want to read to you um, from 2 Corinthians 11. Paul tells the Christians at Corinth, about some of the things that he has suffered through his ministry. And I just want you to listen to uh, what he talks about and, and, and think about this prison too. Because he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death, this is how I have been living my life as I spread the gospel. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. 
on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. This is the life that Paul lived all in service of Jesus Christ. All of this happened to him after he became a Christian. And Paul had another burden too. Paul says, and apart from all these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. So in addition to everything that Paul is going through, in addition to the shipwrecks and the, and the hunger and the cold and exposure, What's Paul worried about the most? The church. He's worried about these people that he has ministered to. These people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ as he has come to their town or their city and established churches in those places. And I don't know about you, but when I look at this list that we just read, I, I start to wonder if the Roman prison wasn't a little bit of a reprieve for Paul. I mean, at least he was in one place. He had people around him. Timothy was there. Silas and Luke were, were, were around. He was able to receive letters and write letters and send letters. I mean, I wonder if he was, if he was actually more okay there than with all of the dangers. And I don't know, because I don't know how Paul felt. I know how I would feel. But a Roman prison was, by most historians' accounts, pretty bad. There were chains, and there were whips, and there was hunger, and there was the threat of death every day. And while Paul was sitting in one of these prisons, he wrote this letter to the Philippians. And what does he tell the Philippian church? Sitting in prison has been a good thing because it has served to advance the gospel. It says that the whole Roman imperial guard, at least, at the very least, knows the name of Jesus Christ, because they know why he's in prison. They have heard the name of Jesus. And I have to imagine that a lot of those Roman guards, on hearing why Paul was there, well, he's here because of Jesus Christ. A lot of those guards are probably looking at each other and saying, who? Who's Jesus Christ? And why would this man suffer for him? Now, you've got to remember that even though the Romans ruled most of the known world, and it was Roman soldiers who carried out Jesus' crucifixion, this was about... 20 or more years later, and Paul was about 2,500 miles from Jerusalem. Most of the soldiers would have already retired that lived during Jesus' time, and even if they didn't, it's unlikely that anybody guarding Paul over here near Rome is going to know who Jesus Christ was, because the gospel hadn't spread that far yet. We had gotten to Greece, and he had just started moving east, sorry, west, I get mixed up with the, cow, with the uh, map sometimes. But here's the thing. Every time 
that a Roman soldier learned of the reason for Paul's imprisonment. What Paul was doing was planting the seed of the gospel. He was getting Jesus' name into their heads. And the next time they would hear about Jesus, oh yeah, I've heard about that. The prisoner over here, he's in, he's in prison because of, of Jesus. What, what's that about? And I have to imagine that they might say something like this. What's so important about this Jesus? That this man would wallow and rot in a prison cell and be happy about it. Maybe one or two of those Roman soldiers actually asked Paul a question like that. What are you doing here? Who is this Jesus? Why would you be living like this for him? And do you think that Paul might have taken a moment or two out of his busy schedule of sitting in prison to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Roman soldier? I think he would have. And because he was there, the gospel started to spread throughout Rome. And not only did it start to spread around Rome, his attitude started to spread. This guy's happy to suffer just so we can hear this. We've got to look into that a little more. This is what might happen if we shine the light of Jesus Christ to the people that we encounter every day. If we show them that we are different. If we show them by our love, by our patience, by our joy, that we are different people from the rest of the world. Somebody is going to ask you why. Somebody is going to come up to you and say, why are you so different? Why can you suffer whatever it is that you're suffering and still be full of joy? And that's your opening. That's your opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. And don't get upset if they don't get saved right away. If they don't repent, if they don't ask Jesus Christ to forgive their sins. You're planting a seed. You're telling them who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to set it up so that they get to hear other people's stories about what Jesus has done for them. And that is how the gospel spreads in a world that is broken. One of the things that Paul says is that the, the men in the city, the men that were with him, the men that were part of his ministry became bolder they became less afraid to preach the gospel. They became less afraid. Because Paul was in prison, 
to share Jesus Christ with people. And I think this is probably one of the biggest problems that we face as Christians. We don't know how to be bold. A lot of us live in circumstances and situations where if we're bold for the gospel, we might suffer for it. But this is what Paul is telling us. The gospel is worth the suffering. The gospel is worth it. Jesus Christ is worth it. Now Paul goes on, he talks, he continues talking about these people that are being bold. These people that are going out and preaching the gospel. And in verses 15 to 17 he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the former being those who preach Christ from envy and rivalry, Proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Have you ever read this passage and got really confused about it? There are people out there who are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. Do we know any of those people today? Sure. We do. And I think we can understand the people who preach Christ out of love. But what are we supposed to make of these people that preach Christ because of a rivalry or because of selfish ambition or because of some other reason than Jesus Christ? It doesn't make sense. I mean, Paul's saying here, these people are preaching Christ to get back at me. They are preaching Christ so that I might suffer more in prison. That's what they're doing. That's what he's saying. This reminds me of a scene, and I, I forget if it was a movie or TV show, it was a cop thing. And, and I, again, I don't remember what the name of it was, but I remember this scene. I remember there was these two cops, these two partners, and the one was really kind of like, you know, like Joe Friday, right? Just really straight-laced and everything. And the other one was this tough guy. And one night, the tough guy, they, they had had some sort of falling out, and the tough guy left, and he went somewhere. And his partner followed him. Followed him to a dance studio. And he snuck in and watched the tough guy dancing ballet. And I mean not just dancing ballet, I mean he was like, leaping and doing like these triple turns and doing all of these spins and he was incredible and at the end of the dance he sees his partner sitting in the in the in the doorway and he storms out because he's angry because his partner saw him dancing and the partner follows after him and he said i didn't know that you could dance like that and the partner the the tough guy being angry turns around and he says you know what? I learned how to dance like that so I could show those kids back in school, in high school, how stupid they looked. And his partner says, you learned to dance like that sarcastically? And that's what I think of when I read this. You're preaching 
Christ sarcastically just to get back at Paul? That's what this reads like to me. And Paul says, I don't care. Make me suffer more. He goes on in verse 18 and he says, what then? It's another phrase for so what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Now he's not talking about like people preaching false doctrine. That's something completely different. These are people that are trying to get Paul in more trouble. And they are, they're proclaiming Christ. They're talking about all these things. They're doing it sarcastically, but they're speaking the truth about Jesus. And they're spreading the gospel too. It's incredible. And Paul loves it. He says, I don't care. As long as Jesus Christ is being proclaimed, let him do it. Paul is filled with joy at these things. He rejoices that God's word, that Jesus' gospel is being spread. Let's continue reading at the end of verse 18. And again, Paul is talking about being joyful. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is rejoicing in his circumstance. Paul is content with being right where he is. And here we get even further. Paul's saying, I don't care if I live or if I die. As long as Christ is honored. For Paul, it is all about Jesus Christ. It is all about spreading the gospel, sharing the good news that with repentance comes salvation and with salvation comes everlasting life. That's Paul's message. That's Paul's goal. That's Paul's reason for being. And he says he doesn't care if he lives or if he dies. He also says that he's thankful for the church because they've been praying for him. They've been praying while he's been in prison. Now we don't know what they were praying, but they were praying. And he, Paul is thankful for the prayers of the church. And he believes that those prayers will help him to be courageous, will help him to be strong. He certainly thinks that they help him to not care whether he lives or dies as long as Christ is being honored. And I got to tell you, and I want to take a moment here just really quickly. I know some of you pray for me. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. I can't tell you how much it helps when I feel discouraged or when I feel inadequate to know that there are people sitting here 
that are praying for me, that are praying for my family. It's the same thing that Paul feels. I feel more able to be courageous and bold in the preaching of the gospel because of your prayers. And I want to thank you for those because it happens. And I know it happens in your lives too. Disappointment. Sometimes discouragement. Sometimes we ask questions like, where is God in all of this? And it's not because we lack faith. Because we're human. But one of the things I want to encourage this church to do, when you feel discouraged, when you feel like God is somewhere else, talk to somebody. Let them pray for you. Because the power of prayer, when you are discouraged, when you are despondent, it is so strong. I want to thank you for all of your prayers, and I hope that you will continue to pray for each other. Paul is filled with joy here because of the Philippians' prayer. But Paul also shares with them a little conundrum that he's feeling. And we read in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I should choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I teach economics at my high school, AP and regular economics. And what Paul is doing here, when he says to live as Christ, to die as gain, which one should I choose, I don't know. Paul's doing a cost-benefit analysis here. And I'm putting this in terms that, that, that I understand from having learned and taught this. In a cost-benefit analysis, you look at a decision that has to be made. And you decide if a benefit of the decision outweighs the cost of the decision. And that's what Paul's language here sounds like. It sounds like, well, i got to put these things in the balance and see which one is better so that, I can, so that I can choose. And his options are to want to live or to want to die. Those are the options. Those are the things. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, and I don't know which one to choose. If he stays alive, he gets to continue spreading the gospel. He gets to continue encouraging the church. And he continues to serve God's purposes. And if he dies, he gets to be with Jesus Christ. He admits that that is the better choice. That is the better option. I want to live with Jesus Christ. I'm ready to go. How many of you have ever said, Lord, I'm ready to go? Take me. I want to live with you. Some of us have said that. You don't know, you're not going to raise your hand, but that's all right. I know some of you have said this. But that's the choice. Paul says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. 
And when we read some of the suffering that he's gone through, can we blame him? But in Paul's cost-benefit analysis, he doesn't concern himself with what he wants. His analysis includes only what Christ wants. And at this time, Paul understands that Christ wants him to stay. like Jesus is saying, Paul, I know you want to come home to me, but I've still got work for you to do. I've still got a gospel for you to preach. I've still got churches for you to encourage. Stay for a while. And Paul gives his final analysis of the situation. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue for you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Dear Philippians, I have evaluated my options. I have done a cost-benefit analysis. I have looked at my desires, and I have come to the same conclusion that I always do. I remain Christ's servant. And whatever He wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And Christ wants me to be a partner with you a little bit longer. He wants me to encourage you. I'm content to die and be with Christ. I'm content to live and be with you. I am content to do the will of my Master Jesus, so I'll be hanging around a little bit longer. Paul is content because everything he is doing is for Jesus Christ, his Lord and his Savior. And when we experience discouragement in our walks with Jesus Christ, when we experience fear at the thought of sharing the Gospel, my prayer is that we can remember that we are servants of Jesus Christ, that we are saints of God, and that we are partners in the work of the Gospel. And I pray as we perform our own cost-benefit analysis of the Christian life in the decisions that we make, in every decision that we make, that we will find contentment in obedience to the Lord. That we will be content in whatever situation we are in as long as we're doing it with the instruction of the Holy Spirit. And as we consider these things that God asks of us to do, I pray that we always remember our partners. We often think the Christian life is hard, and yes, it is. But it is easier when we live the Christian life together. When we partner with other Christians that we see every single week. We have come to this place. God has put us here. Because He wants us to work together to further the Gospel so that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance for the glory of Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. Next week, we're going to be talking about the things that we can do together in 2023 and beyond.
if we will agree to be partners in the gospel. And I hope that you will stay after church next week for a little bit. I hope you will join us. I hope that you will purpose in your heart to be a partner for the gospel to the glory of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. Father, it's hard sometimes to, to pull ourselves away from our own suffering, from our own discouragement, from our own issues, even in the Christian life. Father, thank you for blessing us with the stories of Paul, with the things that he suffered in your name so that he could fulfill your purpose to see all people come to repentance. Father, give us strength and courage. Fill us with boldness through the Holy Spirit let us not be afraid to speak boldly about your Son, Jesus Christ, about His work on the cross, and about what that means for every human being. The opportunity to experience eternal life in your presence. We thank you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, the second hymn that we sang said this, Am I a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own His cause or blush to speak His name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Sure, I must fight if I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by your word. If you don't feel bold, remember, you are supported by the word of God. The Bible that you read is your support. The Holy Spirit is your courage. Be bold. Be courageous. Share the gospel with everyone you encounter. God bless you this week.